This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe, hit the red button. And if you're listening to this on podcast, please make sure to leave a review as this allows my content to get in front of more people. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. And I have a private practice where we focus on root cause healing. And often we start with the Carnivore Cures meat only elimination diet. Today, I'm very excited. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Mickey Bendor. I saw Dr. Mickey present at Carnivory Con, I think three years ago in Boulder, Colorado, at Carnivory Con that Amber O'Hearn hosted. It was a really great talk. Dr. Mickey Bendor is a PhD in archaeology and he's affiliated with the Department of Archaeology of Tel Aviv University. Dr. Mickey researches the connection between human evolution and nutrition throughout human prehistory. Dr. Mickey has written a lot of papers. I will cite those in the show notes, but you want to take a look at how he argues what kind of food we ate long ago. In our conversation, we talk a lot about the importance of meat and protein, how much protein we can actually eat in a day, and then the importance of carbs or not eating carbs. We talk a lot about that. I love that he's very honest and humble, and he just shares. What he's learned and what he's gathered, and what he's also seen in the science. Let's get right into the interview. Hi, Dr. Mickey. I'm very excited to have you on my channel. I've heard you speak at Carnivory Con many years ago with Amber O'Hearn, and、uh, your talk was very impressive. And I just wanted to share a little bit of your wisdom with the people that are listening and watching.、Uh, for the people that may not have heard of you, if you can introduce yourself. Sure. So, my PhD is in the archaeology. And I specialize in reconstructing、uh, human nutrition. And from that, I also、uh, branched out to human evolution because they are、uh, very tightly associated.、Uh, I retired from work. I used to work uh, uh, in finance and marketing till I was about 52. And then、uh, I had enough and I retired. And I loved hunter gatherers. And、uh, so I found、uh, in Tel Aviv University, in the archaeology department,、uh, people who knew something about 
how hunter-gatherers lived in the past. Uh, so I went there, and uh, to cut a long story short, they proposed that I do a PhD, and I did. And uh, since then, I must say that in, in the meantime, I wrote a book about uh, how, to li- how to retire since I retired myself, and I loved it so much, uh, which is based on, on the philosophy uh, of hunter-gatherers. In other words, the assumption is that we are hunter-gatherers that are stuck in a very different conditions than the conditions that we evolved to live in. Uh, and at that time, I uh, decided to do a little chapter about nutrition because I knew that I knew about paleo, uh, and that was you know, the paleo was good, was a no-brainer for me. But what really uh, brought me into more deeply into the subject is uh, when I found about what the, the catastrophe that's called the the nutrition recommendations or, right. or yeah. So then I understood how important it is to understand uh, what kind of nutrition we uh, evolved. And can you share a little bit about that with our community? I mean, most people, uh, you, can, you can watch the movie Game Changers, and they argue that the, the strongest community were plant-based. Um, a, a lot of people will argue that hunter-gatherers, there was a lot of berry eating and maybe even some of the fibrous twigs. But, you know, your thoughts are a little different. Can you share a little bit about what you think is the proper nutrition for humans and what you even think may be the proper nutrition today? Yeah, the reason why these people say what they say is, first of all, they are motivated, uh, sort of morally motivated. (laughs) But but many researchers today look at hunter-gatherers today and they say, okay, in uh, Africa, uh, hunter-gatherers eat like 30% meat and 70% plants. So this must have been what our ancestors. Now, first of all, if you look at all hunter-gatherers, and this is what Lorraine Corbain did in a in paper in 2000, you see, and his conclusion was that whenever they can, they eat meat. So that was already his conclusion. Now, I, I, I found out that the conditions that the hunter-gatherers today uh, live in both from the ecological point of view and from the technological, the technologies that they have uh, are completely different than what we had during uh, the two million years of our evolution as a homo species. And uh, the, the, the problem is that the answer is not uh, with the people that they are, they are asked for it. In other words, people go to archaeologists, to paleoanthropologists, find out what people ate, or how. Actually, what is not uh, such a big problem because they ate everything. How much they ate, uh, this is the question. And the answer is not in archaeology. It's not, you, you dig you dig a archaeological site, you find bones, you rarely find any uh, plants, but this is because plants don't preserve. So, But even if you did, there's no way to tell what quantity, what was the relative quantity. Right. Other plants, one day of, uh, you know, of where berries were abandoned seasonally, or was it also all? You just can't say it from there. So I went to other areas of uh, science to look for the answer, and uh, mainly in the body, because when we evolved, we evolved to consume a certain type of food. So our body 
I, I, I'm sure, I was sure that I'm going to find in the body the the marks or the the, the remnants or whatever the, the evidence of what we ate because uh, it takes the body to adjust many thousands of years and uh, so so that that's what I did and uh, and other areas as well like zoology I wanted to see for instance what other carnivores are doing or what omnivores are doing and. Uh, <clears throat> I found out that uh, all kinds of behaviors that we have are very much like the behaviors of other carnivores. And uh, there was no question, for instance, that we hunt large animals. We hunted large animals. We still do. And uh, the fact is that carnivores that hunt large animals, all of them are hyper carnivores. In other words, they, are, they get more than 70% of the calories from uh, animals. Now, it makes sense because it takes a lot of time to learn how to hunt right. large game. You're hunting larger game than yourself, like a wolf or a lion. Yeah, they hunt game that is much larger, three times time, time, three, four times larger than themselves. So they have to know how to do it. They have to cooperate. They have to learn how to cooperate. And they just, you don't find any animals, any carnivores, they do it part-time. This is what they do. And there's no reason to think that humans could part-time hunt. And then and the other thing that you have to take into account, and I'm an economist by education, but my BA is in economy, in economics, and my MA is in the business administration. You have to uh, take into account the cost of everything and the return that you have on the investment. So if you look, even today, in today's condition, where plants are more available than they used to be in the past, the return, the energetic return on plants is about 10 times less than the energetic return on obtaining animals. So it's not like humans used to live somewhere and say, okay, well, you know, let's take plants today. No, they just can't do it because they won't have enough energy. They have a limited budget of energy to spend and they need the, in the calories that they need. So a group of, uh, say, I don't know, 20, 30 people need 10,000 calories a day. If they don't, not 10,000, even 100,000 calories a day. If they don't get it, they, they, don't, they don't live. So for them to get 100,000 calories from plants, if they, could only get, if they could get it from animals, of course they will choose to get it from animals where it costs them 10, one-tenth of the energy. So all these considerations, physiological and, and all, all the other considerations, led me to the conclusion that humans were definitely hyper-carnivores. In other words, they, they got more than 70% of their food uh, from animals. What other, while you were doing the research outside of the anthropological, I guess, subject, what other... I guess, facets did you see that um, made you believe that we're a hypercarnivore? Obviously, the hunting skills is a big one. But from a physiological perspective, even comparisons to other carnivores in the, in the wild, what were other things right. that you found? Right. I tell you, what I liked most is when I found some things that the researchers themselves uh, brought them to the conclusion that humans were carnivore. Wow. Only, only thing, nobody picked it up. For instance, something very strange, which doesn't make sense to you and me, 
but it made sense to the researcher, is the number of fat cells, mm-hmm. so, or the structure of fat cells. So it turns out that carnivores have many small fat cells, and omnivores have fewer, larger fat cells. So the same amount of fat is stored differently in omnivores and carnivores. Apparently, it has something to do with the insulin resistance, but uh, I don't know enough and I won't go into it. Uh, and of course, and, and they also say that humans are like carnivores. Actually, humans are even more carnivores than carnivores in this respect. So they have a higher amount of even smaller uh, fat cells. So, and they say, apparently, humans were more carnivores than we think. So this, this is the thing that I, I like uh, a lot. Uh, the other thing was the acidity, for instance, of the stomach. Yeah, so omnivores have an acidity of about pH of about four, right. and and carnivores have about two, two point two. Humans have one point five. One point five is actually scavengers because the acidity is supposed to take care of the pathogens, among other things. And uh, so they they wrote that humans were scavengers, but humans. Technically speaking, there were scavengers. Why, why were there scavengers? Because humans are a special type of carnivore. They, are, they, are, they can take the meat to a central place and sit on it for uh, weeks and months uh, and eat it, uh, which is something that the lions, for instance, can't do because the eaters come. And other, other, other carnivores, they have the capacity to eat very quickly, like a uh, a wolf, I read the other day, can eat like nine kilos. So what, about 20 pounds in one setting uh, of meat. Yeah, humans cannot do that. But we can take the uh, meat, guard it, and uh, eat it. So we need the high acidity. Like we are actually, technically, we arrange ourselves to become uh, scavengers. But we scavenge on our own uh, hunt. So this is another... Uh, there are some others that are, for instance, uh, the period to winning in humans. We win at about two years. And uh, if you take a chimpanzee, they win at about five years. So why, why do they win? At, uh, and, and it so happens that carnivores win earlier than omnivores. Uh, and it makes sense because, you know, the quality of the food that you transfer your baby from... Uh, Mother's milk to to meat and fat, the difference is not that great. But to go from mother's milk to a very starchy fruit, that's a that's a big difference. So it takes time for for the baby to adjust to it much more, much longer time. So another another reason to think that the humans were carnivores. There are many others. I mean, I could go all night. It's interesting that you brought up the insulin and the fat cells because it makes sense. A lot of people that end up eating a higher carb diet on the standard American diet, they start getting insulin resistant because the blood sugar keeps going up and then insulin has to keep shoveling away a lot of that sugar. But over time, the insulin resistance start and it starts pretty early. I've had other guests on the channel where they talk about a little bit of a pouch on a on the uh, on a child's belly is a sign of insulin resistance already starting so i can see that and our western diet is very very carb or very you know plant based friendly um and so it's it makes a lot of sense what you're saying but if we just were to start eating meat uh, we don't have that same issue even if we're eating a lot of fat fat is not making us fat from the yeah. animal and that's right. very interesting and then in terms of the ph so i find it so interesting um i focus on gut health 
And we learned in nutritional therapy school that the pH is really low for adults. And most people are, we're either, we don't have enough of the stomach acid or that our pH is higher than ideally it should be. But I find it so ironic that there's a lot of advocates in the carnivore space. I mean, I'm sorry, the cancer space that will say our pH is off and that's why we're getting cancer. Um, I don't know if you've been hearing that or that. Um, no, I haven't, I haven't heard that. No. Okay. Or that we need um, to drink alkaline pH waters. Really? Uh, yes. So there's a lot of, um, you can go to the grocery store and these, these waters are even more expensive than the um, standard bottled waters. And the pH is 9.0, 9.5. And people drink it because they're trying to alkalize their body. But if we think about it, in order to break down our foods and properly digest and absorb, as you're saying, we need 1.5, 2.0, but people are drinking this water with their food. And so it makes their pH go up a little bit, which will hinder proper digestion. And it's just a big marketing ploy because I think every single one of those bottles is probably 50 cents to a dollar more than the standard waters that don't have that. And it's just, it's unfortunate because it kind of makes sense from a logical perspective. But when you talk about the true stomach acid, it's wrong. And it's, I think it's actually harming people. I, I, I think that you can never tell what the implications are. Right. There can be many uh, implications yes. that we don't even think about. Yeah. Right. And, yes. And they said that, um, I, I believe the studies show that when people drink those waters and it makes your pH rise by 0.5 for at least 30 minutes to an hour. So imagine if you're maybe because you're eating the wrong foods, your pH is at 2.5 and then you drink that and now it's at three. How are you going to digest your foods? It's um, it's just really unfortunate. Actually, I uh, used to take, I don't do it anymore, but I used to take some uh, uh, some uh, things to raise the pH because with age, the pH actually falls. Oh, of your stomach acid or other yeah, parts yeah, of Yeah, the stomach acid with age, you know, like anything else to produce a... Uh, High acidic environment is is energetically costly. Yes, yes. And uh, so when you grow old, uh, your pH goes down. And uh, sometimes it's advisable to actually take some acid to increase the pH. Yes, yes. I I would say that most of my clients that work with me and they're not doing... So they're eating a very heavy meat-based diet, but they're still showing deficiencies in vitamin B, which it's we would never think that because they're eating a lot of meat, but it's because their gut function isn't ideal. And so they need right. to take a lot of that stomach acid and it's supported. Uh, so from your all your research, do you think that, I mean, we were kind of intended to eat plants if animals weren't available. So does that mean in our modern society that we should be eating some plants what are your thoughts with that you know should no i don't think we should eat it. Uh, we the, the question is can we eat idea should for sure no we should not we don't have to eat uh, plants as far as i can tell i mean i'm not that's not my uh, area of expertise but i would i would tell you this if a hunter gatherer got into a supermarket he wouldn't know what he's seen. He just there's nothing there except for the meat. Right. Yeah. Except for the meat and maybe the honey uh, that he will recognize as food. Mm. So, uh, you know, the other thing, again, going back to uh, not, not to the uh, hunter gatherers, but even to traditional societies that were, by the way, healthy. I mean, when you, when uh, Western Price went to, Ethiopia, Africa, he saw 
healthy farmers. He always mar- remarked that the farmers don't look as good as the hunter-gatherers. But still, they were quite healthy. And, but they learned to, you know, to prepare the food. Like, the, for instance, the Ethiopians take their bread that made from tooth. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, it's kind of, some kind of cereal okay. that they use. And they ferment it for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Two weeks. I mean, nobody's going to give up uh, inventory stock for two weeks if he doesn't need it. Uh, so it comes out very sour, but uh, this is what they do, uh, which means that there's a lot of stuff there that need to be fermented. Uh, so I'd say if you are going to eat, uh, you know, uh, legumes, etc., make sure that uh, you ferment them or you uh, sprout them, right. you know, prepare them. Uh, in a traditional way. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. When you did your research um, anthropologically, even looking at the body, did you notice any older societies where they were starting to eat more plants and then maybe disease also in correlation also arising? No, that was only in the beginning. Okay. Only when the, when the, in the switch from uh, hunter-gatherer to uh, agricultural societies, at the beginning, you see an increase in pathology. Okay. And also during, during I mean, in, with the Egyptians, which is, say, 4,000, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and the switch to agriculture happened 10,000 years ago. But mostly, uh, agricultural societies were, uh, were okay. But they learned how to, if you go, for instance, this brings me to the blue zones. The guy goes around in the blue zones, and you find out that uh, these are healthy people. Sure, they're healthy, because they've lived in the same environment for thousands of years, maybe hundreds, at least hundreds, if not more. And they learned how to treat their food. So, and, and, and nothing changed. It's not like the Japanese went from Japan to the United States. It's, it's they stayed in the same place. They did the same things. And they, by the way, adjusted there also uh, genetically mm. to, to be more, because some people, for instance, can tolerate more uh, sugar, Right. than others. Uh, you know, there's a quite variety between, among humans. So yes, they got uh, genetically adjusted. They treated their uh, food. They used to eat the same food. And the longevity, in my opinion, come from community support and other things, which reduce stress. But that's... I, I agree with that. I, I just recently read about, I've been reading this trauma book, and they talk about one of the most powerful tools to heal trauma is having community and having somebody you trust that really you feel loves you and is thinking about you and 
And it's more that than any of the other modal modalities he talks about. So I completely agree. I think a lot of the blue zones, well, one, they cook with lard is from my understanding. So they use animal fats, but additionally, they're very, very, um, their lifestyle is on point. So they will be in the sun. They'll do a lot of things in the outside nature and be with community. And we don't consider all of that when we're talking about just their diet is the answer of why they're living long. Um, but I think that makes sense. I, I think that some people will listen to this though and say, well, if in the blue zone, these people have been able to genetically maybe turn on some epigenetics where they can now tolerate more carbs. So then does that mean in modern day that some of us can really tolerate carbs and is that okay? Or is the diet still ideal to be carnivore? To me, to me, the whole paleo template is a, a reducing risk. Okay. We don't know. The fact is we don't know. We don't, we don't know more than we know. And uh, so if you want to reduce risk, in my opinion, go back to the source. I don't know if I'm a, uh, if my genes are, uh, you know, I know a little bit my, my, my genes because I did some uh, genetic testing. But how many people do genetic testing? Right. So, yeah. And... Uh, my my genes my my report came back. Uh, don't touch uh, don't touch vegetables. That's my personal uh, uh, situation. But how many people do the, this testing? They don't. So if you don't do it, the safest way is to go back to the source and to eat meat and fat. That cannot cannot be wrong for you. Uh, all the rest is a is a game that you play. And, uh, you know, some of the, for instance, milk. I mean, how many people are sensitive to milk? How many people don't know that they're sensitive right. to this kind of uh, uh, A1, A2, uh, uh, all kind of stuff? So be safe. For safety, only meat and fat, mm -hmm. of course, meat fat. So talking about fat, um, there are many advocates in the space that will say, if you look at an animal in the wild, they're very lean. So when we are eating a lot of fat, it's actually not the right diet for us. And that we should just be focusing on lean protein, because again, a cow in the wild or a grass finished cow is very lean. And so fat is not ideal. I have worked with so many meat only carnivores and they do not do well with lean protein. They need it. They need the fat for hormones and such. So what is your thoughts about the fat? I mean, should we just be eating lean? Do you think all the animals out there were just lean? Well, one of the main uh, difference between uh, humans and other carnivores, because we entered the carnivore guild only 2 million years ago, uh, dogs, for instance, have been there for 30 million years. So three oh, million years. Uh, we did not adjust to consume large quantities of protein. So the <clears throat> present uh, knowledge uh, say that it's about around the three, four grams, four grams per kilogram of body weight. So about 35% uh, of the calories. That's the maximum we can do. If we eat more, the body will react because they cannot, it cannot remove the urea that is the final product of uh, using protein for energy. Yeah, you have the protein for structural, structural needs. That's, that's another story. But the protein, if you start to do gluconeogenesis, 
you have to re remove the urea. So humans cannot and should not <laughs> uh, try to consume more than about 30. I don't think anybody does, by the way. It's just impossible. Try to eat that much meat. Try, I want to see the person who ate four, uh, <laughs> four uh, grams per kilogram uh, body weight of, of more protein. And don't forget, we're not talking about the, the weight of the steak. We're talking about one-fourth of the weight of the steak. So, and the rest in water. So, <laughs> I don't think that people can eat that much anyway. So, what do you do? What do you do? What do you complete it, the, the calories with? So, it, in calories, it comes to about, if I remember correctly, something like 700 grams per, you know, six, 700 grams. Depends on the weight of the body and, and depends also on the requirements, how much exercise you do, etc. So your requirements for structural protein. But uh, what do you do with the 65%? Oh. And uh, then of course we go back to the beginning. So you need to, you need to go to fat. It's better to go to fat than to go to uh, dangerous plant uh, food. That's my opinion. Yeah. And I, and that's what I see normally. So if, if, some of the women are eating about 65% fat in terms of total calories. So that means that they're eating 35% protein. Um, they're, they're, they're not doing as well. So then when I up them to 75, they're 75% uh, fat. So there's a little bit of healing, I guess, uh, grams of fat, and then they're sleeping better. Their hormones are better, but they start kind of gaining weight. And that's the part they don't like because for gram for gram fat is more calorically dense than protein, but there are mm -hmm. people I'll give you an example. So in the carnivore space, there are people that will do days of just protein. So they will eat like pounds of chicken breast and nothing else. And so I don't know what the, I think I, maybe that's 80% protein. I'm not even sure what the, the map, cause I don't I doubt it. I really doubt it. Okay. I, must say. I, mean, I doubt the reports. There was a, I think what's his name? I think Antonio or something. I don't remember the name of the researchers, but he did it. It took people that do a lot of uh, heavy lifting, you know, like semi-professional. And uh, they were, they were. I think it's a, it was in the context of checking uh, uh, some uh, protein powder. Anyway, he made them eat 4.4 grams uh, protein per, for body weight. Wow, okay. Okay, so if you take, you take, you have to take the structural needs are high. So compared to other people, probably they are consuming another gram. Uh, so the net, let's say 3.4 gram per body weight that they had to transfer or they had to uh, use for energy. Uh, and I think about six people retired. They, they said it's too much, it's too much protein. They don't want to continue the test. And some other people had the uh, stomach aches, etc. So. This was like in the limit. It's, it's so clear that this was like the limit. And yeah. this is measured. All the reports that you read in the internet, okay, I doubt it. Do you think that the animals were a lot leaner? Um, if we really need the calories, like 65% fat, I mean, I normally go a little bit higher than that with my healing clients. But if we have to get 65% fat, if people are saying that we really are, we're eating lean animals, where were we getting the fat? Is it just the fat around, you know, the organs that are protective? I mean, what, what do you think 
how did we get the fat when there were okay. first of all factually yes the, the wild animals are leaner than uh, domesticated animals yes and this by the way is Darwin already wrote that uh, domesticated animals were actually bred to be fatter mm. so just tell you why you uh, how uh, you know humans treated fat at that time but if you look at the human behavior, you will see, and this is my first paper, that men was, or humans were looking for fat. So yes, animals were leaner, but humans look for the fatter animals among the leaner ones. So the fatter animals are, for instance, large animals. So large animal will have 50, 60% fat. Of the, of the calories, if you take the calories in the protein and fat, and then they used to hunt adults, prime, what they call prime adults. Okay. Now this is a crazy behavior for a, for a carnivore because the prime adults, they are in the best conditions, they can run faster, they have more experience and, so, and they're smarter. So, I mean, normally, like wolf, for instance, they go after the young and the old, but the prime adults is, is a crazy uh, strategy for a carnivore, unless he is looking for fat. And this is what, what this uh, age group has. And what happened is that the people, uh, professors that I learned from in, in university, uh, they were digging an archaeological site, not far from Tel Aviv, about 15-minute drive from Tel Aviv. And they found teeth of humans uh, that were very close to, to Homo sapiens. Now, Homo sapiens in that time, it was known that Homo sapiens appeared about 200,000 years ago. And that was the teeth were from 400,000 years ago. Later on in Africa, uh, Homo sapiens of 300,000 years ago was discovered. But still, it's about 100,000 years ago before Homo sapiens was supposed to appear on the sea. So, and my uh, partner since then, uh, Ran Barkay, came up and he said, you know, it's, it's uh, very interesting because in the, in the previous period, uh, humans were hunting a, a lot of uh, elephants. And from about 400,000 years ago, you don't find elephants in, in Israel, in the Levant, in our area. And I said, okay, this makes sense. So if there are no elephants, you have to hunt smaller animals. And smaller animals have less fat and they're more difficult to hunt. This is something else that is difficult for uh, paleoanthropologists to accept. It's easier to hunt large elephants, for instance, are quite easy, comparatively speaking, to hunt than smaller animals. Smaller animals escape. Elephants are so large, they just don't bother to escape. And since they don't bother to escape, it's easier to limit their, like you dig a pit on their, on their, on their way to the water hole and they fall into a pit and that's it. Right. They're, they're finished. So they're easier to hunt and they provide more fat. But once they're gone, you have to, to, you have to be smarter to uh, hunt smaller animals. You have to change your tools, all that stuff. So that was that uh, paper that... Okay. Uh, that, but, but the paper showed that the effect was primarily 
the, the fat shortage made, made the whole thing much more acute because smaller animals have less fat. So you, have, you not only have to hunt, let's say, 80 more deer instead of one elephant, but you have to hunt 120 more deer right. because you don't get the same amount of fat as you would have gotten from the elephant. If we talk about the hunter-gatherers, we talk about how men will be hunting. And so fine, maybe men need to eat more meat, but for women, we were gatherers. So we picked the berries. And so for women, maybe we are designed to eat a little bit more carbs. I have seen my clients heal without any carbs, but do you think women maybe are more wired to eat more carbs than men? Your thoughts? I don't know. This is something that I just don't know. It's true today that in hunter-gatherers, for instance, in the Hadza in Tanzania, the women eat, do eat more carbs than, uh, than the men, yes. Whether it was a line that during our evolution, I don't know. My feeling is that women uh, used to participate in the hunts mm. <laughs> with the men. That's my, uh, because a lot of the hunting should have been communal hunting. Right. By the way, you could, uh, it still existed by the, in the Alberta, for instance, there is a, site called Head Smashed In. Uh, and they show how the Indians used to hunt uh, bisons, driving them over a cliff. So that was a whole group affair. I mean, it's not just the men, the kids and the women, everybody participated. And these guys ate very, very little plants. I know you're a fan of bone marrow. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the importance of bone marrow? I love Eating bone marrow, I know it's very high fat, but I know there's a lot of nutrition. Can you talk about why you like it so much? No, the only reason, I, I don't really, I didn't follow up the composition of bone marrow. I know it's fat, uh, but what I what I know is that uh, early humans ate a lot of bone marrow right. because in every archaeological site, not in every, but in most archaeological site, you see that humans broke the bones in order to get to the marrow. So, and these were big animals with a lot of marrow. So it definitely, you know, marrow was like a almost daily, wow. maybe maybe every second day or maybe every week, but but much, much more prevalent than we, we have today, we are today. So just as a matter of the paleo template, whatever we ate in the past, uh, it's safest to eat now. I would have got more marrow if I could, yeah. So if I were to guess, if I'm asking you what you think the ideal diet is today, it's looking back a little bit of what the, our ancestors ate. And do you think that's the ideal diet for us to now, even though we're like city dwellers, uh, we're not as much outside. Do you think it's the same? You know, do we need to eat the same? Should we be living the same? You know, it's very difficult. I, I, you know, I will tell you what the ideal I tried, by the way, I tried all of it. I tried the normal one, paleo, keto, carnivore. Carnivore was the best. Yeah. I felt the best. More awake. I was thinner, although I ate a lot of uh, fat. Yes. So it didn't seem to affect me. And uh, carnivore, you feel the best. But, uh, you know, it's not easy. That's, uh, we have to admit it. Yeah. Especially for uh, people with a lot of friends and uh, that go out a lot. Yes. Visit. You know, it's it's very, very difficult. My friends always ask, what should we do? What you're coming to drink? 
they, they send questions. Are you allowed to eat that? And it's uncomfortable to be right, considered right. like, you know. I know you mentioned in a talk before that our brain is shrinking. Why do you think that's happening? And um, yeah, what are your thoughts about why that may be happening? Well, it starts with the explanation why the brain grew in the first place. Okay. Uh, so the explanation is that we needed to hunt. And then uh, we needed to hunt smaller animals. Like I said, be, we had to become smarter. Now, uh, brain is very costly. Uh, in terms of energy? Yeah. I mean, it could consume like 20% of the yes. energy. It's like, what, 5% of the weight or something. So evolution doesn't leave costly tissue uh, I see. Uh, if it's not necessary. Uh, and what we see is that about 20,000 years ago, you see an increase in the consumption of plants. Mm-hmm. How do you see it? You see more tools that are specific for the processing of plants, okay? So, and, and they were not there before. So, yes, so they ate more plants, mainly because the large farmer had disappeared. So they were ending up with a, when they started with a 12 tons uh, elephant, they ended up with a 20 kilos uh, gazelle. Mm. So not very much fat. Right. And you have to, like we said, you cannot eat a lot of protein, so you need to, to get it from somewhere. And if you don't have fat, you have to get it from plants. So anyway, with that, we see a decline in the brain size. So until that time, brain size was about, depends, you know, it changed. It was 1,500 cc, let's say. And today it's 1,350, the average, mm-hmm. 1,500. So there's no argument that the brain size declined. Whether it continued to decline or not, I don't know. But it declined from about 20,000 years ago to today. And the explanation is that just we don't need it. Hunting, you, you just think about the brain power that you need to hunt. You have to make many, many decisions. You have to know a lot about nature. It's all dynamic, very dynamic situation. But if you're a farmer and you saw the field, you know, at the end of summer and you wait and then and then you pick up the wheat. I mean, it's not a big uh, intellectual <laughs> challenge, is it? Right. So that's my that's my opinion, why the brain uh, shrunk. Did it look like the brain shrinkage was only in a snapshot of time? So around the 20,000 year mark that it showed it, or has it been steadily declining since then? Do you know? It has been steadily declining okay. since 20,000, but I don't know if it continues or not. Continues okay. or not. That's I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised with the diet these days, but I mean, only time will tell. I, I just think it's, I'm not sure it's because of the diet. The question is, do we need it or not? Right. And uh, now right now we we farm out a lot of uh, our needs to our phone and, and other things. So maybe we don't need that much bread. So in closing, I mean, would you say that most people would should eat a meat very meat-heavy um, diet, including children, you know, women, men um, of all ages. Do you think that's the best way to eat, or ideal yeah. way to eat? Yeah, yeah, we can we can close quite a few hospitals yes. if we do that. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, where can people find you and um, your research and all of the work that you do? Ah, uh, research. 
if you really want to start reading papers, go to Google Scholar and, and put my name there. Okay. But uh, or ResearchGate, another it's another yes. uh, site that uh, I use. Uh, on a day to on, on day to day basis, that's uh, I'm mostly active in in Twitter. Okay. Uh, I'm not that active, but I active there. And can also be contacted via Twitter. Okay. That's and I have a, I have a blog, but I'm not very active there either. Okay. So yeah. Well, I'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your discussion about the importance of protein and especially fat. Um, I know there's, I think people are trying to lower the fat levels in carnivore to lose weight or be very, very thin. But I think for longevity and health, it's such an important discussion to talk about how important fat is and how even ancestrally um, we really search for the fat, because like you said, there's a limit of how much protein we can consume in a day physically. So thank you for that. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I love that Dr. Mickey talks about the importance of why we were searching for fat and how we need it, especially when we cannot consume that much protein in a day. I will put his papers in the show notes and you can also search him on YouTube and find a lot of his talks that really argue for the case for meat and fats and why carnivore is actually the most ideal diet for humans. Yes, it may not be that easy to follow in our modern society, but when it comes to true wellness and health, um, it probably is the key in terms of diet. Okay, guys, make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.